Hello, everybody. Welcome into our second episode of our College Bass Bonanza season preview series for 2020-2021. I'm Nicholas Hodel. Dominic Stern is always beside me there, and I know you're looking forward to this one. Another power conference we're going to knock out today here, Dom. Yep, it's always fun to talk about Big 12 basketball. Uh, I don't want to say a bit of a down year, but they're certainly carried by their top teams. Baylor in Kansas last year. Uh, I see this conference being on the rise, especially from those middle-tier teams hopping up to the top of the conference. Yes, and when we look at the Big 12 last year, Kansas and Baylor were definitely all the talk. They beat up on everyone. Everyone else seemed to beat up on themselves because after Kansas and Baylor, you had four different teams at 9-9. Nine and nine. Absolutely shocking the amount of parity that went into that conference. And this is a conference that still had four of the top 25 in the Kempom top 25. And from what the preseason people are saying, look, this may once again be a familiar situation. However, it's still deep. Five in the Blue Ribbon top 25, five in Andy Katz's power 36 ranking. And we're going to get started here with a few teams that are really nowhere near that initial ranking. We'll start at the bottom with a team like Kansas State, a team that doesn't have a ton of experience, and it looks like they're just building for the future. Right, and after a couple of really strong years for Kansas State, uh, they went to the Elite Eight, and then the following year they were a four seed, unfortunately, before getting a little bit hurt heading into the tournament and following to the UC Irvine Anteaters. Last year, they were bad, like really bad. And uh, they actually have a deep recruiting class, so I think they could maybe take a couple of steps forward. But uh, Sneed, their top scorer last year, he, he graduated, so they're already losing their top scorer. And that's never a good sign when you finish last in your conference to lose your top score. Uh, they're going to need a lot of the incoming players uh, to step up. And they're going to need some of the players who struggled last year for them to also step up. So uh, Kansas State, they, this is a big year for them because they've got to help out that reputation that they established over the previous couple of years. Otherwise, they could see themselves at the bottom of the Big 12 for the years coming. Yeah, and this is going to be a struggle because, I mean, like we said, only one senior and two juniors. And other than that, you got freshmen and sophomores galore in this team. There is one guy, though, that, that might be able to save, and that's four-star point guard Nigel Pack. He's going to have to be doing a lot to be able to save this team from the basement. And the, the third line of text I put in my notes is build for future. This is a team that really – it's going to struggle in the Big 12 this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But – if you can still manage the way to get some wins, because as we saw last year, Kansas State only three and fifteen, but if you can help yourself out to five or six wins, as we saw last year, you may be able to save yourselves from the basement. However, I'm not too keen on that happening. I do think this is a team that we'll see in the basement of this conference. And another team I'm not necessarily high on is Iowa State. And we were talking about this before we were getting to record. I, I'm not necessarily sure about this team. What are you, Don? Yeah, similar to Kansas State, a team with a good reputation normally in the past and a team that's really helped out the Big 12's reputation as a strong conference. And last year, they were hurt. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, he didn't play the entire season. And then, of course, he goes down. And as a top NBA prospect, he's not going to risk it for a struggling team. He – didn't come back and then Iowa State of course got worse uh once again similar Kansas State they they have a decent recruiting class uh based off of their reputation they built in years prior 
especially for Iowa State. Uh, they certainly had a little bit better of a reputation, at least uh, prolonged, uh, prolonged reputation. So I think that this team has a little bit more potential than Kansas State, especially with Razier Bolton, their top scorer last year. He's coming back. And then Blake Henson, a transfer from Ole Miss, he averaged 10 points per game in the SEC last year. And I think they have some potential, and they're going to be an important bridge gap team, uh, one of those teams that can really uh, help the conference assert itself at the top when you compare those Power Five conferences, uh, which will help the other teams at the conference. Yeah, this is a team that, to me, they're not too bad in the backcourt, actually, from Bashir Bolton and Trey Jackson and a good amount of transfers that they've brought in. This is actually a team that isn't too bad in the backcourt. But as we noted with the Big Ten, a lot of teams in the Big 12 have pretty decent backcourts. That different is what you have up front. And right now, they don't have a lot of size at the four, and they're going to have to rely on a transfer from Troy, Jaron Johnson, Johnson, to be an effective small forward. And there are some other teams we'll get to in this conference that can play pretty effectively as an undersized lineup. For Iowa State, though, they may have a little bit of an issue with that because of the fact that their power four position isn't necessarily as big as some other fours in this conference. And the team that I think that if we're going to go off of the same tier one, tier two, a two B and three, that I mentioned with the big 10, I think Iowa state is pretty firmly in tier three. I'm not necessarily sure what they're going to be able to manage. Now, with that being said, Pretty much anything can happen to Big 12 as we've seen in years prior. Iowa State, 5-13, and 13, only good enough for ninth in the conference. And even then, they were able to get some good home wins, five home wins in conference, which if you do the math, that means they didn't win a single road game in conference. That's going to be a big problem for them if they once again fail to do that. TCU, the next team on our list, and I think the third and final team in the bottom tier with a young rotation and a couple of players I want to get you to step up here, Don. Right. Desmond Bain, the program's all-time leading scorer, he graduated. So already, just by saying that, you can kind of assume that they're not going to have a good year. And I, I think that's probably going to be the case. Now they are returning two double-digit scorers from last year, RJ Nemhard and Kevin Samuel. So there is some promise there. They're going to have to fill, up, fill the shoes of Bain. But just when you watched TCU last year, their entire offense was run through Bain. And I really don't know how they're going to be able to not only replicate the production that he had, but they're not going to have as good of looks for the other players without Bain on the court. So they're, they're going to be an interesting team. Because like I said, they're, they are returning two double-digit scorers. But when you lose your big guy, your guy that can shoot the threes, drive the hoop, and also play good defense like Bain could, it sets up very poorly for TCU. Big thing with TCU last year is that they were 13-5 and in the middle of January, and from there went 3-11 and to finish at 500. You mentioned the two big returners. Who is that third option going to be? That's going to be the big question for this team because we've mentioned this time and time again. It takes a complete team to be able to be successful. And they, they do have – a few players that can be rotational pieces in the front court. And that goes from three-star Taron Frank, young center, Eddie Lampkin. Those are a couple of guys that are going to have to be 
useful in at the very least a rotational role, maybe not that sixth man, but a seven or eighth spot to be successful. And again, the option of number three, who is that going to be? If you, if opponents are able to key in on Samuel and in a conference as competitive as the big 12, TCU is not going to be seeing a lot of success. Can they improve a little bit? But I don't think they're going to improve much based off of their record from last year in conference play, which are seven and 11. And, yeah. you know, you, you go three and 11 at the end of the year, that's not a good sign. Might be a sign for the worst this season, Dom. No, and they're another one of those teams that didn't play well on the road last year, one and nine. So the three teams we've already mentioned last year only combined for two wins on the road this year. And in a year where there's probably not going to be full capacity in the stands or even any fans in the stands, those three teams, one way that they can certainly improve from last year is by picking up some wins on the road and taking advantage of the fact there's no fans. Now, on the flip side, TCU 14-5 and five at home, Iowa State 11-6 and six at home, are they going to be able to replicate that home record without their home fans? The 2020-2021 season is going to be awesome, and it's little things like that that are going to be so unpredictable, and it's, why, it's one of the several reasons why we're all looking forward to the season. And with as much parity as the Big 12 has, too, winning road games is pretty much twice as valuable as picking up a game at home. Stealing, stealing a game on the road can be crucial in this conference with as much parity as it had last year. And based off of the next seven teams, it looks like we're going to be in a very similar situation. Right. So two teams I have in Tier 2B are the, are the Oklahomas. And we'll start with the Sooners, a team that's undersized, um, from what you were telling me before we get going on this program, you might be a little more keen on the Sooners than I am. Uh, it's not that I'm really key on them. I still have them in the in the middle tier like you do. But uh, they had a really bad recruiting class. So they're not bringing in a lot of players. And last year they had their, their big three. Their big three all averaged almost 15 points per game. They're returning two of them with Brady Manick and Reeves. So those two guys are going to have to step up because – uh, they're, they're already going to have to replace a production that they're going to lose, but they are also going to need their other players to step up because Brady Manick, he's not really a shot creator. He's a tall player, makes his shots 110%, but he doesn't really create his shots. So Oklahoma, another one of those teams that can really bridge the gap from those middle tiers to the top tiers that will make the Big 12 a good conference potentially. And this is a team that's just undersized. And that, that, I mean, with as many guards as they have, they might be able to compete with an undersized lineup. However, I just question that ability when you only have a couple of guys that can do well in the front court, and even they have some question marks too. And with, when, and when you go mainly guards, that margin for error is so small, especially in the Big 12. This is a team that can crack the top half of the conference. This is a team that can completely destroy itself and finish – Eighth, ninth, maybe dead last, but I don't think they'll get quite to that bottom. This is a team that has a lot of question marks around them. And I, I do worry that their undersized lineups are going to get completely demolished by teams in Tier 1, teams that are just above them, who we'll get to in a moment. I, I, I'm scared for this team that they are going to get destroyed down low, and in turn, they're going to lose a lot of games that perhaps they shouldn't be losing. And you can't be losing games that you shouldn't be, especially this year where you have less games to prove yourselves to the committee. 
And that is going to be something I'll be very interested in seeing is just how good this front court can be. Where do you think this front court is, Don? Uh, the front court, it, it definitely lacks. Like I said, Brady Manick, he's one of their forwards, but he typically finds himself on the outside. So they're, they're going to struggle for sure. They're going to struggle against some teams. Now, fortunately for them, they've really kind of played small ball for as long as we can remember. So uh, they're going to be used to that. But like you said, they're, they're definitely a small team. You're absolutely correct on that. Another team, 4-8 on the road last year. They got to find ways to win games on the road this year because – and believe it or not, they finished in third place in the conference last year. They went nine and nine in conference. That's how much parity is in this conference. Who's going to step up for Oklahoma to return them? Because uh, just a couple of years ago, they were in the final four. Of course, they had one of the greatest shooters college basketball's ever seen in Buddy Hill. But uh, Oklahoma, I, I think they can make some noise in the Big 12 this year. Uh, maybe not as much noise as some of the other teams we're about to mention, but certainly capable. And even in the back half of the season when you had Buddy healed, defenses, they're going to hit him out quick in the Big 12. And that's going to be something that I do show a little concern for Oklahoma is you're going to have to be able to adapt to the Big 12 and teams figure you out. And I don't know if there's a way that Oklahoma can do that. The other team in Oklahoma, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, we'll mention it right off the bat, and now it's for the NCAA tournament, but they still have a lot of hype with Cade Cunningham. But once again, I think the front court here is a problem here, Dom. Right. I mean, the, the first word I mentioned was Cade Cunningham in my notes. And, of course, they do have the postseason ban. Uh, they're they're going to be a good team. They they were another one of those teams that they could have beat any team in the conference. They could have lost any team in the conference last year. A lot of people were extremely high on them last year, and they didn't really beat those expectations. Now, of course, I think this year they could definitely make some noise. Uh, Lika, Lika Kale. Uh, one of their top scorers from last year can never really pronounce his name right. Uh, he's returning. So uh, those are two guys in the backcourt uh, that are going to put up some serious numbers for Oklahoma State. Now uh, they're, they're going to need to find ways to uh, play some defense against the big men at the Big 12. But Oklahoma State, they're going to have a good year. They're not going to play in the postseason, so it doesn't really matter. But if they can play well this year, it'll help them continue to recruit to uh, hopefully make the tournament in the following years. Yeah, I'm sure the season still matters to Kate Cunningham, though, just like the rest of the players in the Washington State Bell, a top 15 class, a couple of solid chances coming in. And when you look at that front court, I think they're, they're going to have to go to uh, JUCO center Bernard Coma. He's going to have to be a big, big factor into what happens with this team down low because in the Big 12, if you don't have it overall, you're going to get – beaten pretty easily about some of the top teams in this conference. And I do think the potential was there for the Sooners that had to go undersized just like the Sooners. I think these teams, Cowboys and Sooners alike, are going to be pretty undersized. Now, whether that helps Oklahoma State in the long run, I think it will because I think they are a little bit better with Cunningham and what they brought in. I, do, I will give the Cowboys a bit of an edge over the Sooners just because I think their guards are better. And if, you're, if we're going to say both of these teams are undersized, if their front courts are both lacking, I think you've got to give the edge to the team with the better guards because ultimately that's the part of the team that's going to be showcased a lot more in the front court on both of these teams. And I do think that both of these teams, they're not quite up there with the top half of the conference, 
but I do think that they are solidly in tier 2B and they're going to have to prove themselves to make the tournament because I do think the Big 12 is a conference to where all that parity in a season where you don't have as many non-conference games to help you out is going to really bite this conference in the butt. I mean, they'll still get a, a good amount of bids, but it's not going to be quite to the point where we're talking six or seven bids in a 10-team league, Dom. Yeah, they're like I said, there's gonna, they're going to need help from those middle-tier teams to step up to make the conference look better to help out the other teams. That's the only way they're going to get five, six-plus teams from the conference into the tourney. Uh, they're, those teams like Oklahoma, Iowa State, and then Oklahoma State, if they didn't have the postseason ban, would be those teams. And we'll, and we'll mention these top half teams now. We'll start off with West Virginia. Their, their top three scorers are all back, but I think the offensive part of this team is where this team is going to be decided on. Right. Obviously, I don't know who West Virginia is. All I know is Press Virginia. And <laughs> uh, the, the defense is obviously going to shine on this team like it always does. Uh, Bob Huggins, he's the GOAT. Uh, he's just an incredible defensive-minded coach. Like you said, they're, they're returning their top three scores. So that already things are already pointing up for West Virginia after they played so well in non-conference last year to then go 500 in what was really, you know, not, not a great Big 12. You know, you have your, your losses to Kansas and Baylor, but then they didn't really pick up those wins against the other teams that they really should have. So they're, they're going to need their top scorers to step it up even more. And then their, their backcourt is also going to have to step it up because I think that this team is loaded in the front court. Uh, the program's top overall recruit, Oscar Shibway, he's returning. And then they're also getting a local four-star recruit in Isaiah Cottrell. So the front court. They've already got four or five guys that are going to be filling in and out. So it's going to be tough to drive in the paint and score in West Virginia. And then they're just going to need their guards to step it up in transition and putting shots into the hoop. Uh, I think they're poised for a bounce back here. This is certainly a tournament team in my eyes. Yeah, the bounce back is there. And I just want you to listen to some of these numbers from last season. Effective field goal percentage, 46.5% outside the top 300 in the country. Three-point percentage, 28.6% outside the top 300 in the country. Free throw percentage, 64.2% outside the top 300 in the country. That's a, that's bad. That's very bad, particularly the free throw percentage. They're going to have to get the shooting up. The one big area, though, where West Virginia didn't excel in offense was the offensive rebound percentage, 40.1%. That topped the entire country, which is fantastic. And to once again hit home the point of their shooting not being so good. They, in February, this team last year lost six of seven. In those six losses, in order, here was the point total for West Virginia in each of those six games. 59-49, 59-60, 57-62. And that's not going to get the job done. There were a few games to where Yes, their defense shined, and they were only able to score in a number in the mid-60s or even in their first win of last season Big 12 play in the mid-50s and still get the win. How often that's going to happen this year, I'm not necessarily for certain. That offense is going to have to step it up, and sophomore guard Miles McBride might have to be a big part of that this season for West Virginia. And I, the fact they do return their top three scores is a good sign. However, 
it's not exactly as much production. And for a defensive-oriented team, that might be more or less the case anyway with a team that does pride itself on defense, on pressing, on forcing turnovers. That might be the way things are anyway. But even then, on the turnover side of it last year, they barely made the top 300 in turnover percentage and barely cracked the top 30 of the country in turnover percentage on the defensive side of the ball. So pretty much the thing here for West Virginia is that, yes, their defense has to be on top of it again. Their offense has to improve. If not, they're going to be stuck in the middle of this conference. And I'm sure that is not an area where West Virginia would like to be again. Texas, a very similar team, except they don't just return the top three scorers. They return everybody, Dom. Hooker, I, I love this team. I think this team has an insane amount of potential this year. Uh, they also have a five-star recruit incoming in, Greg Brown, uh, out of Austin, Texas. So he, I'm sure he's grown up a Texas fan. And Texas has the reputation of recruiting big men and good big men at that. Jared Allen in the NBA for the Nets. Mo Bamba in the NBA for the Orlando Magic. So Greg Brown certainly seems like he has a potential to follow in the footsteps of those guys. So they were peaking at the end of last year. And the fact that they've returned every single player, like you just mentioned, I think this team not only has the potential to be a good team come March, I think they have the potential to possibly make a run at Baylor and Kansas and win this conference. Yeah, I think the potential certainly is there. My big problem with this team is that if they do, if they do not improve their score, scoring, not only is this team screwed, so is Shaka Smart. I think that the opposite part of this team have to be the number one focus for this team. And the baseline for this team on offense is a team that did not crack the top 150 in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency and just struggled. I don't think there's a single offensive metric in the team profile page where this team even cracks the top 100 from last year on the offensive side of the ball. That's not a good sign. And this team should be improved, yes. I just have a lot of worry for this team that if they do not improve this offense, West Virginia could jump above them and they could be fighting out with the Oklahomans as far as that's concerned. And that's the big reason why I am very, very keen on leading this team out of the top tier in the Big 12. I just think that the offense, if it is not improved, will hold them back big time. Now, my other question for you is that if this team doesn't improve as well as we think they do, and if they don't make the NCAA tournament, is Shaka Smart on the hot seat? Well, if they don't make the tournament, yes. Uh, I think that's fairly obvious. He was certainly on the hot seat last year, and then the team got hot, like I already mentioned. And I think that they, they finally stepped up offensively towards the back end of the year. And I think that them struggling offensively could be a byproduct of how good this conference is defensively. We've already mentioned how good defensively West Virginia is. Then you also look at Kansas, Texas Tech, and Baylor. Those are teams that pride themselves on their defense. So you're already looking at four of the top teams in the conference that are extremely good defensively. So I, you're right. The Texas offense was not very good last year, and that's what's going to hold them back if they do get held back in 2020-21. So – I, I think that Shaka Smart, he's still got a coach for his job. 
But if they could be a top-tier seed in the tournament, you know, six seed or higher, I think that he secures himself certainly through the following year. Yeah, and Shaka Smart, I think he realizes that he needs to get things going because even when they did win the NIT a couple years ago, that first game, uh, yeah, no one cared in the, about the NIT in Austin, Texas. And so they are going to have to push for an NCAA appearance. And quite frankly, I'm not even sure if they would have made it last year. And I think that just shows that with offense, it held that team back from being a tournament team to be in the bubble. And that's questioning whether or not, whether or not they are an NCAA tournament team to begin with. But the fact they returned everyone last year, I think gives them the edge for me over West Virginia. But I still think that both of those teams – are below the next three teams we're going to talk about. And the first one of those is Texas Tech. They've become transfer U. They've been very effective at getting the top transfers, and they've done so once again this season, Dom. Right. Texas Tech, you know, Mac McClung, uh, I think that's the highlight transfer for them. Uh, and the, but the problem is they, they lost Jemias Ramsey and David Moretti. And Moretti was a big part of their championship team. They don't really have any of those guys that are there anymore. Now, they do have a good recruiting class. Uh, Texas Tech, I think they will take a step up from where they were last year. Certainly disappointing. They kind of just hung around the rankings. And even though they lost a lot, they lost to a lot of great teams. Of course, they got, they got stuck with Kentucky in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And that was a big loss to them because they faced Kentucky really at the wrong time. But uh, I, I think Texas Tech can certainly improve. Uh, finishing tied for third in the conference when really they went 9-9 nine and nine in conference certainly not where they want to be, especially coming off of a national championship appearance, then going 18 and 13 the following year. Texas Tech needs to step it up. Chris Beard, one of the best coaches in the country, I'm sure that they will step up, but Texas Tech, they, they're going to need a lot of help from a lot of incoming players, uh, including their recruits and their transfers. I think this team has the potential to be a top team, uh, a top tier team in the Big 12. I'm not entirely sure that they'll be better than Texas, though, in my honest opinion. Yeah, and, and, and again, Texas Tech, you could say that a reader in preseason because the, the amount of transfers coming in and the amount of new people that do come in. The front court, it's good, probably going to be pretty solid with a VCU grad transfer, Marco Santos Silva, and Joel Tomboy. Those will be a couple of guys that will be very interesting, but producing the Big 12, much different than the mid-majors. And five-star Namari Burnett is going to be very interesting as well. Again, transfers, that's the biggest challenge every year. If you are trying to build yourself as transfer you, that's going to be a very hard job for a coach to be able to gel in every single piece together. And that will be an interesting thing to where the transfers – they're going to have to be the stars of this team. And those transfers are going to elevate this team or push them down even below Texas, like you mentioned. The quality of transfers and, of course, Burnett, I think puts Texas Tech a little bit above Texas. And that's even with a lot of the question marks. And I, I still believe that the Red Raiders are going to get a better of Texas, even if it is only in the season split. I think that Texas is just a little bit below. And the Red, the Red Raiders have a little more of that talent to where I think you can put them above Texas 
even if only by a little bit? It's going to be very close. I think that I, you know, I said that I think Texas has the potential to win the conference. I, I stand by that statement, but teams five through three are so close with West Virginia, Texas, and Texas Tech. Uh, I think everyone's going to pick Baylor and Kansas to finish atop the conference, but those three teams are certainly going to be closer than where the standings were last year because, I mean, 9-9 nine and nine was third in the conference. So I, I don't think anyone's predicting that this year. I think there's going to be more parity in this conference. Kansas is probably going to take a step back for sure. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then Baylor, they're going to be good again. Yes, and let's get straight to Kansas, like you mentioned. They got a couple of big stars they have to replace. And to me, that's their biggest task this season. Absolutely. This is going to be one of the biggest tests for Bill Self as coach in his career. Uh, I mean, Yudoka Azabuki and Devon Dotson were two, two Naismith and Wooden Watch contenders. So they're, it's, they're, they're certainly an interesting team. Now they do have Bryce Thompson coming in. He's their top recruit. Uh, but they're retaining a lot of their key role players from last year. Ochai Baji, uh, Christian Braun, who really stepped up uh, in Big 12 play. Big shooter, uh, plays good defense. Silvio Sousa can play down low. Marcus Garrett, arguably the best defensive player in the country. And then McCormick is going to have to replace Azubuki as that big man down on the floor. They certainly have the, uh, the pieces to replace those two players. I don't think they're going to be as dominant as Yudoka Azubuki and Devon Dotson were last year, but this team will still certainly be a top tier team in the nation. They probably just won't be the number one team in the nation. Yes, I think that's a pretty fair evaluation there. Again, Dotson and Azubuki, you're going to have to replace them. And it seems like for Dotson, they have a nice five-star coming in in Thompson, like you mentioned. And that's going to be something to where he might have to do a little more of the scoring. That front court is going to be the biggest thing because you are replacing one of the best front court men in the entire country from last year in Azubuki. And David McCormack is going to have to do that. And also, Marcus Garrett's going to have to play a pretty big role as well. He may be a bit more of an assist man. And assist men, they work just as well as the scorers, if, if you can get that duo to really connect effectively. And that will be something that I look to see from this team. It will not be as dominant as last year's team. I think that is absolutely going to be the case. But with the Kansas Jayhawks, they are still going to be one of the top teams in the country. They are still going to be one of the top teams in the Big 12. And it may be more of a firmer second than it was last season to me because Baylor the Baylor Bears were the big winners of the NBA draft early into the process because they got pretty much every one of their big guys back right and uh sorry I missed out on what you said about Kansas we uh we had a little bit of a zoom breakup uh but I'm back so Baylor they, they were robbed of their chance at making the national title game now it seemed like they peaked a little bit too early last year uh, especially with their loss to Kansas. And then they fell, back, they fell down and dropped two other games in the Big 12 play. But they are gaining two four-star recruits. Uh, they're, they're getting those recruits based on the fact that they, they seem like they're starting to become a top-tier program in the nation. And they're returning their entire core, which was extremely good defensively 
Kansas and Baylor were two of the best defensive teams in the nation last year. And I'd expect both those teams, especially Baylor, to retain that status. Now, they're going to need to improve offensively, similar to Texas. And Scott Drew, their head coach, he needs to figure it out because it seemed to me like he lost that game against Kansas. And as the head coach of a very good basketball team, you cannot be responsible for losing the game against an elite team like Kansas. It's got to be up to your players, you know, getting beat on the floor or missing shots. It can't be you. Uh, you saw last year they could not defend. They could not defend the the screen and roll. It was it was a problem, and he just did nothing to fix it in multiple games towards the end of the end of the year last year. So if he can if he can have another great year coaching like he was towards the middle of the year, and the Baylor defense continues where it is, and their offense improves from last year, this team is certainly a national title contender. And you mentioned the coaching. There's no excuse because, for me, this is a team that might be the deepest in the entire country. And this could be number one seed or bust for the Baylor Bears. With everyone coming back, you have depth on both sides of the court. Front court depth, that's even without Freddie Gillespie. And the back court depth with some of your returnees and your newcomers, which includes a top 100 freshman point guard and a transfer from Presbyterian and Adam Flagler, who had nearly 16 points a game two years ago. A team that you cannot let your game plan get in the way because the players you have are the, the best of the best are the are NBA stars, are going to be NBA stars. And that includes Jared Butler. That includes Kyle T. For sure, those are a couple of guys that I see going into the NBA next season. Whenever this whole thing gets settled down because everything with the calendars and COVID, it's it's going crazy right now, so we'll let things we'll we'll let things to the calendar play itself out. But right for right now, I think coaching cannot get in the way of the deepest team in the country, in my estimation, a team that is a little more clear as a Big Twelve favorite than it was last year. And I think that's because it's a little more of the question that Kansas has going into the season of can they replace Azubuki and Dotson? And I think that to me makes Baylor a clear favorite, in my estimation here, Dom. Right, and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they were unranked at the beginning of last year. This year, they were projected top five teams at the beginning of the year. So it shows. Uh, it's, it's a model for building a team that's, you know, in the middle of the pack into becoming an elite team. Get a, get a core of players and keep them. And then have them establish themselves, get their chemistry built, and then have them be together in their junior and their senior years so they can win a national title potentially. The, this Baylor team has the potential to be a model that, that we've seen. Uh, and I think that they, they're certainly the Big 12 favorites. And yeah, I, I do think that they are, again, Big 12 favorites, national contenders, without a doubt. You could see that with Bluebird putting them third and the Cats putting them second, a team that is clearly among the national favorites. And that, to me, warrants a Big 12 title now. Whether Kansas, whether they can get up there and try to sneak their way back up to where they, they were, that's going to be very interesting because Baylor, from 13-0 and to 15-3, and I think it's fair to say they blew it last year, and they kind of blew their chance of getting that Big 12 title. If Kansas is going to get back that Big, 10, that Big 12 title, they are going to have to do what they did last year, and that's just stay consistent throughout the end of the season because Baylor 
they couldn't, they cracked under the pressure of having to win a Big 12 title. They cracked under that pressure. And if they do that again, I think Kansas is going to be right there for the taking again. Now, in our last episode, a couple of questions. How many NCAA tournament teams and your top player of the year? But once again, ended off with that, Dom. How many tournament teams do you think the Big 12 is going to get? And who do you think is the Big 12 player of the year? I see five tournament teams for sure. I see Baylor, Kansas, Texas, and West Virginia, and also Texas Tech being tournament locks for me, almost guaranteed. I think they, they all should be single-digit seeds or better. And then you have the potential of Iowa State and Oklahoma to slide in as those bottom tier teams, those bubble teams making the tournament. So I'd say five for sure, potentially seven. And Oklahoma State probably would be a tournament team this year. They of course can't, they've got that postseason ban. I see five, probably six teams. I think one of either Iowa State or Oklahoma will sneak in. I cannot see no more than five. And that's not because this conference isn't top to bottom stacked because it is. That's simply because of what we're going through right now with the schedules. And the fact that these teams are not going to have as many non-conference games to prove themselves. If we get into a spot to where teams are stacking up three through six, nine and nine again, that is going to hurt this conference because after Kansas and Baylor and after West Virginia, there is really no guarantee that they're going to get any more single-digit seats. And that's despite Texas Tech being a top 25 Ken Palm team. They were still 18 and 13, and that came with a few a little a little struggles toward the end of the season. I can't see these conference getting more than five only because these guys are not going to have as many opportunities in the non-conference to prove themselves. And I think that's where the scheduling of the bubbles, the scheduling of other non-conference games, that's where it's going to have to be critical for the Big 12 Conference if they do want that sixteen. They're not going to get that seventh. I think we can agree on that with Oklahoma State being eligible. I think that rules out a seven big Big 12. They can get six, but I, I think they'll get five. My preseason player of the year is going to be Jared Butler. What he did with for Baylor last year was – pretty uh, transcendent for this Baylor team. I think that he will do that once again. And to me, he is the best player in the Big 12 right now. Again, a lot of newcomers to this Big 12 conference that can make a big impact for these top teams. And when you go with Kansas, you think of Bryce Thompson. You think of all the transfer that Texas Tech has. You think of the five-star power forward, Greg Bound for Texas. And you think of the returners for West Virginia, they're going to try to make a big impact. And, of course, Kay Cunningham for Oklahoma State. A lot of new players that can make a big impact in the Big 12. Even with that, though, I think Jared Butler shines above them all here, Dom. Yeah, Butler's a good pick. I had him finishing in second. Of course, I have him finishing behind the nation's top recruit, Cade Cunningham. I think that he's got an insane potential to – carried this Oklahoma State team to being one of the top teams in the Big 12. Now, of course, it doesn't matter, but I think that's where they'll end up being. Uh, It's going to be funny to see if Oklahoma State is going to hurt this team come tournament time. Uh, See if they have a couple of key victories that knock out some teams because they failed to pick that one up. Uh, And, of course, if you're the Big 12, this is the last thing you want. Uh, For this year, of course, you you want Oklahoma State to look good. 
but you don't want that happening at the cost of some of your other teams. And, and, and particularly at West Virginia and Texas. Those would be the two teams in particular that I'd be worried about not making it because of a team like Oklahoma State coming in, beating them, and then all of a sudden your conference, your eligible teams in your conference look worse. And I do like how smart you're being with the horns up. Don't horns down cost Texas Tech over the weekend, and we certainly don't want it to cost us here in the Bonanza. And I, don't, I still think the Big 12 is a very strong conference. And it's going to be for years to come. I think that's pretty obvious. It, once again, is strong. Top to bottom, maybe not quite as much as it has been in previous years. Still a very strong conference. I think five tournament teams is a good estimation. You got any final thoughts in the Big 12 here? I'm just going to reiterate what I said earlier. It's going to be a better conference, uh, at least in the middle, than where it was last year. Uh, nine and nine being a third-place team in the conference is not very good. Now, of course, it speaks to the depth there is in this conference, but – I think you'll see Texas, West Virginia, and Texas Tech over 500. You'll see K-State and TCU down at the bottom. And then Oklahoma and Iowa State will be somewhere below 500. But the closer they can be to 500, the better shot they have at making the tournament. And, of course, that parity is something that we can't take for granted either. You have parity in a a good conference. That just means all your teams are good. But this year, that may cost them. And – this conference is going to need to find some teams to rise above and secure a third place by a good couple of games or so. That'll take care of our preview of the Big 12. For Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Have a good day, night, whenever you're listening to us, when, wherever you're listening to us. Have a good one, folks.